What's the mindset thing you want to work on in 2023? Living life with intentionality at each moment is making sure that you can actually live the life you want to live now. You don't have to wait until you retire. It's going to be so much fun to live. Like you aren't going to make it down the mountain unless you just step off. Even if you're walking down, it's that one next step and you never know where it's going to lead you. So just be open-minded about it and take that urgency. I think that massive action is I mean, you spend more energy worrying about it than if you just do it and see what happens. Listen, too many of us spend most of our waking hours working hard for our money and have little time left to figure out how to make our money work hard for us. We default to handing our savings off to advisors who make their livings off our assets while we wait until 65 to enjoy any of the benefits. The problem is we need a quick way to gain the knowledge to take back the reins on managing our money while avoiding the misleading media or just straight bad advice. My goal is to give you all my knowledge, full-time research, and connections in a distilled version so we all can make our money work harder for us. This show focuses on ways you can take back control and intelligently invest outside the stock market to benefit your life today as well as into retirement. I'm Brian O'Neill and welcome to the Harder Working Money Podcast. Hey folks, welcome back to the Harder Working Money Podcast. This week we are in Punta de Mita, Mexico at the Hilton. And this place is impressive. We're sitting on the beach. We're talking to syndicators and passive investors and active deal sponsors about multifamily. We're with the Brad Sumrock Multifamily Mastermind Group. There's probably 100, 150 people here. They're in the game. They are the players that make these deals work. And we're going directly to the source for some of these questions. So we are doing mics and margaritas. We're sitting down with people, sharing some margaritas and talking about multifamily, passive investing, tax strategies, what's going on with the market right now everything you kind of need to know and I need to know to passively invest successfully in this market. So today we have Dwayne Winkle. Dwayne, dude, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, thank you for having me. You like your salted margaritas. I'm the bastard child with no salt. No salt. <laughs> I just realized that. So Dwayne's a, a syndicator out of Arizona, a Scottsdale. He's got 500 units or so. He's $30 million under asset management. He's been doing syndications for three years or so with his wife. Before that, um, single families, like a lot of people that transition to multifamily. And Dwayne's a cool dude you can you can spot him out of the crowd he is always dressed dapper i found out recently we share a lot of commonality mm-hmm. i used to be into theater and audio and Dwayne used to be a he's an official licensed roadie audio engineer was this on the bands you used to help mix for and set up oh i've done a ton it's really i have a theater background as well so we did a lot of the theater shows and everything that would come through town so i worked with the kansas city symphony and we've done being in kansas city there were a lot of country acts that would come through like like Luke Bryan and Gretchen Wilson and a lot of cover bands, a ton for parties, all sorts of fun stuff. It really depends on who you're into. Placio Domingo and Yo-Yo Ma worked with the symphony for a little while. So that was fun. Just a little bit of everybody. Did you grow up in Kansas City? I grew up in Missouri, yeah, in the Ozarks, where okay. the TV show was filmed. No way. Well, not that, but like area for sure. And went to school in Florida because you have to go see the beach as a young kid in the Midwest. And then came back and worked and lived in Kansas City for about eight years where I met my wife. So right now you still hold a day job, right? You and your wife? Or are you... F- yeah, full time already. Yeah, so we actually both have day jobs. So awesome. we know that there's the power of passive investing. And that's why we love multifamily. Because when we were doing our fix and flips, we were there every night and every weekend and just really grinding it out. It was basically getting a second job. I know we were investing in real estate, but it wasn't as cool as everybody made it seem. Yes, we made some extra money and we paid down some debts. But that's why we looked into the multifamily space is because of the scale. 
right now we have a property. We had a call from Mexico with our property management team in Dallas, Texas, and they're working on putting a new sign in and doing the landscaping and finishing up some things there. But we could do that for Mexico. You can't do that if you're fixing and flipping a property kind of on the cheap, trying to save a buck doing it by yourself. That's kind of what drew it to me as well, because I've been in an entrepreneur for the last 16 years, three companies, all successful. But man, you are building yourself a job and almost building yourself a prison. I mean, it's the e-myth. Most people fall into the e-myth. If you ever read that book, I always mention it. Mm -hmm. But it's very hard to build a business where you're truly the owner, where you truly can act as the owner. And for most industries, you're kind of on your own to figure out how to do that. There's not a lot of support or kind of a game plan of how you do it. So I was luckily, I grinded it out for 16 years and sold those businesses and was able to then take the proceeds from that and I almost started going on the same track of like, what's next? What should I do next? It's like, I'll do franchises. Oh my gosh. Like, okay, why? Because that was like, that was one iteration better than where I was at. At least mm -hmm. there was a game plan. And then I was like, I need to invest this money. So let's see where we invest it. And then real estate started coming up. It's like, wait a second. Real estate is like one of the few businesses I've come across that they've really perfected the how to be an owner in real estate. And you have to get out of the single family a little bit and move up into the bigger projects, which you got to change your mindset because these numbers are, are no joke. But like you're saying, you can truly be in Mexico and have someone that you can trust to be fixing a sign where most businesses like real estate is a business. This is a business. It's hard to do that. Well, and that's what I love the most about it. So your entrepreneurial background and everybody listening that has a business will totally understand this. You have a business plan for a commercial loan. The bank will not give you a loan just based on, I really like this house and I want to put a new pool in the backyard. Like, that's not how this works. It's really building a business plan and showing them how you're going to increase the income, how you're going to reduce the expenses a little different than somebody else might have, and then your projection for where you're going to take that business. Your property management company is really just working alongside of you to make sure that they're executing on the business. You're basically partnering with somebody. They get a percentage of all the money you make. So the more money the whole property makes, they're incentivized. The more money the property makes, the more money they're going to make. Yeah. It's a genius like situation where everybody's working together. And then everybody else on the project that you partner with also is incentivized in a proper direction to make sure it goes well for all your investors. And we find that the best way to do that is focus on the residents. If they have a great experience and they're living in a really nice spot and it's affordable, of course, you're going to add some new amenities when you go in. Like we're adding a Wi-Fi package. I don't know about you, but when I show up and I move in day one, we're going to have wi wireless internet. And you're like, that's going to be awesome, right? So that's an added amenity. It doesn't really cost any more than a standard package. Compact. We get a bulk discount. Yeah. yeah. So we get a bulk discount, let's say at 60 bucks and we charge 80 bucks. So we make the $20 difference, but we already have that set in stone. And then we're making, we're the ones that control that with Cox specifically or with Comcast or whatever. So with the vendor. What do you think about rents? I mean, rents have been going up a lot. Do you think that we've kind of pushed the ceiling of affordability or just sort of caught up to where the market was dragging the news? And, you know, a lot of investors will see the news and not hear normal sources. And, then, you know, the Biden administration is starting to talk about, oh, we need to address rents and things like that. That gets a little scary. Like, do you think they're just talking? Do you think it's just fluff or we're fine? It, it's a concern that the Biden administration is trying to put those caps in place. I think capitalism really is the best at figuring out where we should be. If somebody doesn't like our rents, they can move across the street if it's cheaper. And you get the same quality amenities, right? Like I said, we might have extra amenities. And now with inflation from the Biden administration, 
things cost more. It costs more for washer and dryers. It costs more for the signage. It costs more to employ people to go fix the toilets. Everything costs more. So costs of rents do rise alongside of that. And we're not gouging anybody. If somebody doesn't want to live in our apartment complex because they can get it cheaper somewhere else, that's great. That's the system at work. Yeah, there's a lot we of- We will reduce on purpose, right? So we just reduced uh, 100 bucks on our 1-1 because we were seeing that those were the most vacant units and we were above market where we're at. We're going to drop it for a week or two, see if more people find that attractive and want to move indoors. I think that's fair. So we're actually adjusting for the market. And it really does depend on what market around the United States that you're looking at. There are some markets that are still on the upswing in Phoenix, right? We were hot, like crazy hot for all of last year. So this year, year over year, we look like we're not doing as good. Yeah, but if you look at the 10-year trend, we're still way up compared to where we were in 2017, 2018. So as long as the trajectory continues in that way, it's a safe investment. It's just a little different, and that's why you have to know your numbers per market. Yeah, and it seems like rents have kind of cooled off. These crazy accelerations have come closer back to normal. If you look at the history of rents, they're pretty linear as far as what the growth. There's some ups and downs, but really they sort of just have a pretty straight line, surprisingly. People don't realize that. The news won't tell you that. Mm -mm. But as far as fi- figuring out your pro formas, it seems like when I've looked into it, it's not as scary of a thing. The last right. two years were, were more of an of anomaly. Correct. Yeah. And you'll see that from the industry-related news sources that do all the metrics and projections. They're always looking historically. It's hard to predict the future, and they want to be super conservative, so you won't see a lot of that. And they were having a hard time keeping up from last year. This year, we're falling back into a more predictable pattern, which is great. You decided to go into multifamily. You still invest in stocks and bonds and traditional assets or traditional investments or are you done with that? Like a lot of people would come to the awakening like I did of, hey, there's things beyond what this investment advisor is telling me. Do you, did you roll it out? I talked to another person here who rolled out their 401k and they went full into multifamily or is it sort of a parallel thing? It's a great question. We're doing a little bit of both right now. Since I do have a W-2, I'm taking the extra money from them right now. So they do a company match. So we we run that company match as far as they'll take it. And then we pull everything else out. We pull everything that we can. And we do it on a case-by-case basis so we can move those into the next apartment deal that we're doing. So we want to be in the full-time investing space more and because we have control of your own assets. Like this, you can say, I want to put it in the deal in Texas, or I want to invest in Florida, or with this specific operator. You can pick your companies in the stock market, but that's about it. You don't have the ability to pick like the region or the direction or anything else with that. So we like to be able to control our own in our future. So as a passive investor, picking markets like that, myself included, every market looks great. Every syndicator, a lot, a lot of experienced syndicators like, oh, Phoenix, oh, Texas, oh, Florida, you know, Kansas City, like all these different areas. It's like, how do you pick? Are they all really good? Are they all actually good? Or is it you almost have to just trust them? But I don't think that's true. Like, how do you do it or how do you think? passive investors should look at market selection. There's a lot of different... It's a hard one. It's it a hard is, yeah. One. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. I think first, you, the investor, need to figure out what you're looking Do you want something that's going to just preserve your money? Are you looking for a quick increase? You're trying to like double your money quickly? Or are you looking for those tax benefits? There are a lot of different places to purchase for those things. And then you go and look at the economies specifically and who's investing in those areas. And you also want to know the investors, like the main general partners that are running the deal. I do trust a track record from them because they're doing this full time. 
more than anything else. So they know the specific markets, but you might say the Midwest, right, is just more organic rent growth and it'll be a slower burn and might have a little more cash flow during the hold than an appreciation market might. So you would really need to look at each individual area. Got it. So if you're looking for cash flow, that may be one market. Correct. If you're just like, hey, I'm going to sit on this. I don't really care what happens with the, the five years that we're holding it, but I'm I'm banking on it year five or when they exit, mm-hmm. that that's when. Yeah, exactly. If you just want appreciation, you're like, dude, I just don't want to lose my money. If I buy something now and sell it in five years, the value of it's gone up factually, then you would, you would pick a different investment market. So what do you think about class A, which is kind of new builds versus class B and class C? Obviously, there's different guys out there. You look at Grant Cardone, he's class A, he's pushing class A. There's a lot of our group focuses more on class B and some value add. Like, why do some people push class A? Because when I see yeah, that seems like just a long-term hold. Well, exactly. Um, but it goes back to knowing your why, knowing your vision and what you're trying to get out of it. If you are concerned with the risk, if you want to just put your money in something instead of a 401k, class A is great. Yeah, it's going to be there. The the type of tenant's going to be a little more sophisticated and might not put holes in your walls, right? But you might have a higher level for payroll because somebody wants the fancy lockers and the spa and the bike racks and all this extra amenities. That being said, you can't get the forced appreciation that you would on a B or C class property. That's why we like that and our community focuses on that so much is because you can go in and add that Wi-Fi package. I'm going to tell you, if you don't have wireless or fiber in a class A, I'm not going to live there. Like I want all the cable channels to begin with and I want it to be a nice, safe, place, maybe with covered parking, even a garage and a chauffeur, I would love dry cleaning on the spot. But I'm willing to pay for that extra, right? So, But that gives a different level of tenant that wants to live there and potentially longevity. The only challenge you have with Class A right now, depending on which market it is, is how many people are building those new Class A products. So you have an influx of those. I know in Phoenix specifically, there are 38,000 of those coming online in the next two years. Does that concern some people? Some, but I know there are some big time people in this space that are still building in Phoenix because they know the market economics. So it really does depend on what you're trying to get out of it more than anything. So sit down and do that analysis before you're like, ooh, that's a cool deal. And you're trying to make a buck. Yeah. A nice webinar with some numbers on it. They're all from a spreadsheet. So. They're always good. They're always good. I've never They're seen a syndicator say, my market sucks and this isn't going to make you any I money. I saw one, the numbers were like, wow, this is, these are really bad numbers. Like, really? how are you putting this out there? Like, you know, 3% cash flow and uh-huh. like... <laughs> but for some people, right, if you're in the hedge fund space, like yeah. 3% cash flow is great. Like, that'll cover the investors and, you know, if it's a more institutional thing, that works for some people. So, it really does depend on your personal bias for risk and how long you want to hold it. Because it's not a liquid thing. You can't turn around in two years and be like, I changed my mind. Yeah. That doesn't happen, right? So you really want to make sure that everything is in alignment with where you're at. And then ask the syndicators, like, do you ever change this, right? Like, what happens if, and then go through your checklist of questions that you might have. That's really beneficial as well. And see how they answer those. If they've had some of those scenarios before and gone through some of these market cycles like we have, it's been hot, now it's cold. What does that look like? So this current market cycle, what's your general feeling on what's going to happen with some properties that maybe were bought in the last year or two? Do you think they're going to be able to refinance themselves out of these variable rate loans? Do you think that people are going to come in with money and save them basically and just take a pound of flesh? or these are actually going back to the bank? That's that's the million-dollar question that everyone has a different opinion on. It's probably all three, realistically. I think so. I think it's all three, depending on where they're at and how capitalized they are as a group. However, I think you'll see a lot of people that predicted a bridge loan for three years, and their term is up. 
and they owe the money back to the bank. And to be honest, the bank does not want to own real estate. They're like, dude, please don't give it back to me. But they have, you know, an obligation to do what's right as well. So I think more than likely you'll see those properties that are kind of in jeopardy that are coming up right now getting retraded. And really, we talk to a lot of people. We just want to help them give their money back to their investor and do the right thing for everybody. It's not about the pound of flesh because we know that they're going to come back and buy that property from us later. Yeah, we might get a discount, but it's still going to be way up from where they bought it three years ago. So some of the deals I emailed and looked at, it seems like the cash flow is lower because they're trying to cover these debt costs, basically. Correct. Does that seem like that's temporary? Like, as a passive investor, I'm sort of thinking, like, do I wait longer? Is this the opportunity? Do I wait till that number comes back up? How do you know when to catch the falling knife is the perpetual question. Or do you do sort of what we do in stocks that you just do dollar cost average and basically yeah. don't put all your eggs in one basket, but buy as the market is adjusting because you can't predict the bottom? I would say it's probably the latter. So we're always preaching buy real estate and wait. Don't wait and buy real estate. Because if you do, you never know where you're going to be in a specific cycle. Let's say the Fed was able to control interest rates, right? So that's what we've seen. The last time the Fed hiked the interest rates, it was 25 basis points. That's the smallest hike that it's been in a year. So that's good. And what they're seeing, what Jerome Powell is saying, the Fed chair, he's like, I think we've kind of figured it out. We're starting to see everything go back in the other direction in terms of inflation in a positive direction. And they think they can like easily do a soft landing if they do, that's going to be great for everybody. So if you're investing now until like the end of this year, we might see rates start sliding back in a lower direction, which is good for everybody. And you can start seeing some of those refinances. If not, what you can do is potentially lock yourself into a longer term, lower rate now that somebody can assume later. What if they don't get it right and interest rates need to go up? You never know. So it's like the stocks, like you don't know if it's going to go up or down. You're really kind of guessing, but here you're guessing with more economic factors in your favor. Right now, there are 10 million plus jobs, only 3 million people looking for them. It's a 2.7% jobless like unemployment rate. That's basically everybody has a job that wants a job. That means rents can be what they are because people can move around because people can still work. So a lot of the economic factors are because we've been printing money and some of the federal things, it is not because of the renters or the tenants or the normal population. If everybody has jobs and discretionary spending's up, you're good on your property. That yeah, the operations of a lot of these properties isn't really the concern. Yeah, Correct. exactly. It's, it's Do they manage the debt correctly so they're not, they can weather it, basically just continue on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And as far as jobs, interesting with jobs, the labor participation rate is part of what's affecting this as well. People are retiring and COVID kind of kicked that. Accelerated. They kind of accelerated yeah. that yeah. where people are like, well, okay, I'll, I'll retire now. And the labor participation rate has been falling. So basically the number of people of the population that actually want to have a job went down. So even if the number of jobs comes back up, the number of people to fill them actually went down, which is affecting our unemployment rate, why, why it is so low, right. which is a good thing for unemployment. It does push wages up a little bit. Oh, if wages go up, they can afford a higher rent potentially, exactly. right? So, exactly. like, And not that we're seeing that and automatically charging more, but just know that they could afford it if prices of everything else, like construction goes up or something. I like think that. the number is 30% for renters, isn't it? If you, if you don't, as long as you don't go That's above about 30%, mm -hmm. you're okay. And most markets aren't exceeding 30%. People are complaining about rents, but they haven't really gone above them, have they, that I've seen? I may be missing a few. Certain asset classes in certain markets yeah. are definitely 
growing, but that's what it is when you have supply and demand imbalance, right? So again, Austin, if you, or something. Yeah. Austin, yeah, there are certain areas of Scottsdale that are more expensive than if you live on the uh, west side of town in Glendale, for example. So it really does depend on where you want to be and if you're specifically pushing it. But again, it's a supply and demand thing. So when people leave, you charge less, right? And you can really control that. So you're in the driver's seat a lot of times and you can see those economic changes. You don't see that really quickly. There's not going to be a million people disappear from your city all at once. Cool, man. Yeah. I mean, Texas and Florida, you love it or hate it, basically. Typically, though, I mean, and you'll hear Brad talk about it. He's made money on Democratic presidents and he's lost money on Democratic presidents. And Republicans have been in office and he's made and lost money, right? It really doesn't impact our day-to-day life as much as people like to give yeah, it credit for. They like to blame everybody yeah. else and be like, oh, it's the big guy in the office. And you're like, ah. They put too much weight on how much power they actually have. They can maybe change sentiments or of people's mindset, basically. I mean, we don't but- love that everybody's printing money either. But it is what it is. And how can we learn to invest different or make sure that we're providing a good value based on our businesses, right? So it's different. It doesn't mean that we're beholden to somebody else from that standpoint. Okay, I had to jump in here real quick. I hope you're loving this interview as much as I am. To get all our content and stay up to date, make sure you follow us on social media under Brian underscore O'Neill underscore investor on Facebook and Instagram. And also remember to follow this podcast if you're listening to an audio. And if you're on YouTube watching the video, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Okay, back to the interview. So how does someone like you compete with an institutional investor or a big fund when looking for properties, when they can come in with giant checkbooks? What's the strategy for getting properties that are quality properties when you're competing with someone like that? Or are they not competing in the areas that you're looking? It's more the latter on that as well. And I would say, again, it goes back to our why. They don't want to have to upgrade and rehab and go through that whole process. A lot of times what institutional property owners do is they'll just go ahead and buy something that's brand new, class A, recently developed. There's a lot less risk there because all they have to do is lease it up with good quality tenants. They run some background checks. It's usually people that can afford the two, three, four thousand dollars rents that are driving the foreign car that need a garage. So they already know what they're getting themselves into and it's predictable. So they're okay with lower cash on cash. They're okay with lower projections because it's predictable over time and they just need it to be predictable. They need a lot of predictability. Whereas like an actual investor like ourselves and we go after these other properties for like a B and C class. Yep, we're doing the full shebang. Sometimes taking out all the air conditioning units, replacing those, taking out the boiler and chiller system, that costs a lot of money. There's a lot of things with older units that might go wrong from the plumbing or the roofing or structural or termites, all those kind of things. So we're willing to take that risk. But our reward has the potential of being higher the way we manage those and with our experience with our people on the ground. So they're really playing two different spots. And we don't have big, huge like skyscraper buildings either, right? That's a separate group that goes after those. Eventually we'll get there, I'm sure, you know, but like not right now. That's not really the spot that we're focused in. Got it. Institutional, they're more looking for a guaranteed, not guaranteed, but as close as they can get to guaranteed Mm -hmm. return, which doesn't have to be in the double digits always. They just need to make sure that this thing produces a certain number. Exactly. In their portfolio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I've been looking at deals recently and I see more preferred returns, two classes of shares. I'm getting in the weeds a little bit, but why is that coming about? And like, do you do that? I know our group sort of doesn't focus in on that a lot. It's getting kind of complex. Like, what's going on there when you see instead of just a 20 80 split, you see maybe a 30 70 and then a makeup and then it's 50 50 after 17% IRR? It's getting harder to figure out 
what's going on here? Like, why are they doing that? Is that for their benefit? Is that to the investor's benefit? Like, do you just stay away from it? Like, as a passive investor, just stick to the straight 30, 70, 20, 80s? We always talk about if it's simple and you can understand it, that's usually the best value. It's, it's the probably safest. the best to the passive investor. Yeah, exactly. When you're changing it, when you're going through those numbers, the you know, just to explain it a little bit, 80%. 20%, the general partnership team controls that 20% and would get 20% of the cash flow or the sale. So when you get into a 70-30, even a 70-30 isn't as good for the passive investor as it is an 80-20. So that's a fact, right? Like you're getting less of those shares. So when you get into the 50-50 after some time, it's really because the main sponsorship team says, after we've already doubled your money, then we think that it's fair to, you know, us take a little more of it supposedly incentivizes them to push harder for that that final that final push supposedly yeah, yeah. It, but if they do then you're getting less money even right so on ours it's just 80 20 like straight even every once in a while we'll change it up a little bit the reason there are those different share classes like that is because it incentivized people to give bigger lump sums yeah. so if you go in and you say i've got i don't think you understand though i have a million dollars i should be treated better than somebody that only has a hundred thousand dollars so you see the different share classes and then you have that top share is really to incentivize bigger paychecks so you have to raise money from less people which makes a lot of sense so that's understandable. If you're only bringing a small share to the whole project, then you're not compensated as much. Sometimes those vary. They're, you know, 5% different. So, but on a million dollars, that adds up pretty quick. Yeah. In theory, you're taking a higher risk than everyone else in the pool. So yeah, exactly. bigger cut. So yeah, but usually it's because the general partnership team is getting squeezed a little more than they were. I mean, it's more expensive to do the paperwork and to do all these other things as part of that. And their risks are going up and the cash flow as a total, as we were talking, is a little less than it has been historically. In this current market right now, cash flow is a little less. So they're looking for other creative ways to make sure that they can still operate and maintain their businesses as well. So we have to remember that it's not just because they're greedy. It's because of all of the work and all the capital and all the risk that they're putting in up front and through the project, they need to be able to sustain the whole thing. So it makes a lot of sense, but it is a little less favorable for the investor to do those special waterfalls and all the different splits and stuff. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. The question always comes back to my head, which is the hardest question to answer, but it's when you're trying to look at sponsors and it goes always comes back to that the tide raises all boats how do i know if this is a person that they just were in the boat that the tide raised or they actually did something that wasn't related to just the market that allowed them to succeed when the tide goes out like what am i looking for in this sponsor because a lot of people have a track record their track record many times would go back to like 2012 is there an advantage having a sponsor or someone related in the gp group that went through 2008 2010 2012 it can it can definitely can't hurt anything to make sure that they're aware kind of of those pain points that they've been through however you're looking that's 15 years ago that's a long time to have been in the business and specifically now with this syndication model having so many people helping out and supporting that i think really something you can do is always ask the general partnership team. We like to go through an extensive checklist before we even partner with somebody. And it's to see some of those things. Of course, they have a good track record, obviously. But then we drill in and be like, so on property X, what did you do? What was actually your business plan? And then how true to the business plan was it? I've seen projects that we've tried to buy that, you know, people in Arizona have owned for a year or two in 2020 and 2021. And they had only done nine units for renovation, but they were asking $10 million more. 
in a year or two. So that's so, mostly market then driving that. But yeah. then you can see that, right? Yeah. Like, okay, that's clearly the market. Or we've seen some that were like, we renovated half of these and we're getting pro forma rent only on the half that we've renovated. This is what we've done on the other ones that we haven't. And you're like, oh, I see. So there's clearly like our business plan was to renovate units. It doesn't always have to be to renovate units. Maybe you saw somebody that had six people on payroll and you're like, there's only a hundred residents. We don't need that many people. You can back some of those things down or save on utilities or other areas or other levers to pull. But I would say like you can really analyze that property then you can potentially get a list of sponsors of their investors and call some of them and be like, how was their communication? Did they follow their business plan? What were your actual returns like? Because as you mentioned with the market surveys, nobody's ever come in and be like, I did a terrible job and this didn't work (laughs) out. But I bet you could find a couple people on their team that might be like, well, you know, we were promised, you know, 60% return. We got 55%. You're like, okay, cool. That's not that big a deal. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't for you. So you can really assess that if you dig a little deeper on a couple of their properties that they've done in the past. That's, yeah, that's good. I mean, I've recently invested with a experienced sponsor and I put six figures in and I haven't heard a single communication back since. Right. And it's been at least three, four months. And like, I expect at least a quarterly something. Like, did, I want to know what they're doing on the property. Did you get my yet? money? Like, <laughs> the Hello? website says you did, but right. that's a perfect example. It's like, oh, okay. They're just because you're experienced doesn't mean, and that's marketing and that's just communication, but that's what makes me feel good. That of course. You have my money. You're still there. Are you still there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. I kind of want to change gears just real quick towards the end and just talk about 2023. You're three years into this. You're obviously doing well with syndication. Everyone has limiting beliefs and things we're trying to like push through that's kind of stopping us from taking the next step. Is there anything for 2023? And this is a hard question that everyone kind of has to think about for a minute. But what's the mindset thing you want to work on in 2023? And it doesn't have to be with investing. It can just be with how I want to get work-life balance, how I want to live the, the ideal best life I can. Like, what is one thing that I really want to improve? And it could be like, for mine, it's imposter syndrome. I'm doing these podcasts and I feel like the biggest imposter in the world, even though I shouldn't. I've run successful businesses for 16 years that have multi-million dollars in revenue, yet I do. So that's the one thing I really have to power through and feel comfortable with because I shouldn't be stressing about something like that, which I do sometimes. So I'm just curious. I'm just always curious what people that we have 150 driven, motivated, successful people here. I'm always curious, like, what's the thing they're working on? Some people are like, I'm doing yoga. or I'm trying to worry less or I'm living in the moment or do you have anything that you thought for 2023? Yeah, those are all good ones. I know I, I usually sit back and at the beginning of the year kind of figure out what a phrase or a word. And this year it's living life with urgency because I've not done that enough. I would say like the corporate lifestyle kind of sets budgeting seasons and sets when you do reviews and kind of like sets that up for you. And it's already planned out. But if you don't live life with urgency, you're going to wake up in a year or two and be like, oh my God, I can't believe I missed that. I was too busy working or I was too busy doing that other thing and didn't have enough time to spend life in the moment. But if you're super urgent and you're living life with intentionality at each moment, it's going to be so much fun to live. And that's really what I'm excited about is making sure that we're really pushing forward as a family and as a business. I want to build a life where I'm in Mexico and I'm in investing in properties, maybe even in Mexico, who knows, but like, we're all doing it. We're all having a good time. We're having fun, but we're working really hard at the same time. And that means it's, it's a little bit of both. So I really do appreciate you like setting up a podcasting studio in Mexico, right on the beach. Like that's it, right? We're having margaritas right now. And you're like, this is it. (laughs) Like, this is what it's all about is making sure that you can actually live the life you want to live now. You don't have to wait until you retire. 
and the, yeah, that fear, like fear holds you back. And you, if you just take a step, I, lo- I love Dean Graziosi. I don't know if you've heard him or not. Yeah. I'm sure I'm butchering his last name. And it's the same thing. I, I remember in 2005, I think I illegally downloaded Tony Robbins's, you know, <laughs> sure. uh, CDs, which were on Napster or something. Mm-hmm. And his one thing was like, just take action, just do something. And I remember telling my good friend at the time, we were booking a vac- something dumb, like a vacation or do a trip or do something. And it's just like, just do it. Just take the first step and let's do it. Stop just waiting and thinking about it. And it kind of stresses me out or, you know, it's kind of sad. I think about like how many years, 2005 to like within a few years ago that I kind of forgot to do that. And boom, you got 15 years are gone just that quickly. It's mm-hmm. like, you have to just do it. Just do a podcast, just go to a meetup, meet with an investor, put your $50,000 in, learn it, do it. Because I don't know if you have kids, you have kids obviously as well. Like it goes by fast. I think that's the, my, my thing. My little kids I see is like, wow you see time move with them. Like you don't see it with your friends. Everyone's aging the same. But when you see little kids and then they age and they lose, my youngest is just about to lose his baby stage. And it's just like, oh, should we have another one? Just, <laughs> we, just so we can get that back. Sure. But it's like, I just need to make sure I focus on the urgency of no, today matters. There's when gonna be so many matters. more steps with him throughout life, right? Like T-ball and baseball and soccer, whatever it is and different areas that you can celebrate with them. So I'm really excited for you. But yeah. You're right. We were ziplining yesterday. And as we were, you just have to step off. Like every time there were 10 different places. It was a great place. And there were 10 different areas where you just, you have to step off the ledge. You harnessed in, there's two wires, you know, you're safe. Sometimes we like ran and jumped, but there was a sign up there and it says success is on the other side of massive action. And you know, there were these Tony Robbins all over the mountain. And you're like, that's so true. Like you aren't going to make it down the mountain unless you just step off. Even if you're walking down, it's that one next step and you never know where it's going to lead you. So just be open-minded about it and take that urgency. I think that massive action is I mean, you spend more energy worrying about it than if you just do it and see what happens. So if you think about like how much time do you worry about like starting a podcast for me? It's like, screw it. I'm just going to do it. What's the worst that can happen? Like, I'll delete it. <laughs> right. Like, so true. Like, yeah. Like, that didn't work. Next. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Well, dude, it's awesome. Awesome for you doing podcasts with me. How can people reach out to you if they want to learn more? Your websites, Facebook? Yeah. Everybody can reach out on the website if they go to winklecapital.com slash how to guide. You spell that. That's an app. Winkle Capital, W I N K E L capital c-a-p-i-t-a-l I have to spell that one because I get that wrong every once in a while. <laughs> Winklecapital.com slash how-to guide. And that's exactly right. Like you get our how-to guide on how to invest in real estate passively, but not have to get another job. So that's what we're really passionate about is just spreading that knowledge because you can't invest in some of these asset classes unless you already know somebody. So that's our plug is to help other people know about these asset classes and just kind of educate on that topic in general. Awesome, man. Thanks for joining me. Hope you have a great, great week in Mexico. Let's go. Thanks, man. Let's the mix, go. The mixture is starting in half an hour, Woo. so we're going to go. Yeah, I'm go excited about it. some more syndicators. Let's do it. Thanks, man. Syndicators. Let's do it. Thanks, man. Syndicators.